This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, April 11th, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. When you adopt a policy of repeatedly dropping bombs on a country, you are at war with that country. Seems obvious, but the commander-in-chief of the U.S. Armed Forces has thus far been reluctant to call his war in Libya a war in Libya. One problem, says Congressman Tom McClintock, a Republican of California, Congress is supposed to be the branch that authorizes war. He says any future president, Republican or Democrat who oversteps that authority should treat impeachment as a real possibility. He spoke at a Cato Institute Capitol Hill briefing last week. I think it is appropriate that we're talking about the constitutional aspects of this because before you can get to the policy issues, before you can get to the fiscal issues, uh, you have to be able to do it in a nation that is supposed to be ruled by uh, laws and not by the whims of, of men and women. Um, when the president ordered the attack uh, on Libya without congressional authorization, uh, I believe that he crossed a very bright constitutional line that he himself recognized in 2007 uh, when he told the Boston Globe, these are his words, uh, the president does not have the power under the Constitution to unilaterally authorize a military attack in a situation that does not involve stopping an actual or imminent threat to the nation. Those were his words. He was right then, and he is absolutely dead wrong today. The um, reason the American founders reserved the question of war to Congress was that they wanted to assure that so momentous a decision could not be made by a single individual. They had watched European kings plunge their nations into bloody and debilitating wars over centuries uh, on mere whim, and the founders wanted to avoid that fate for the American Republic. I mean, if you think about it, the most fatal and consequential decision a nation can make is to go to war. There's nothing more significant than that. And the American founders wanted to be sure that that decision was made by all of the representatives of the people after very careful and sober deliberation. Only when Congress has made that fateful decision does it then fall to the president as commander-in-chief uh, to command our armed forces in that war. The uh, authors of the Constitution were absolutely explicit on this point. Uh, in uh, Federalist 69, for example, uh, Alexander Hamilton drew a sharp distinction between the American president's authority as commander-in-chief, uh, which he said, quote, would amount to nothing more than the supreme command and direction of the military and naval forces, and the role of the British king as commander-in-chief, uh, who could actually declare war and raise armies, which Hamilton said, uh, under the Constitution being considered, was solely the prerogative of the legislative branch. To contend that the um, president has the legal authority to commit an act of war without congressional approval requires ignoring every word that the Constitution's authors said on this subject, and they said quite a lot. Now, I've heard it said, even by members of Congress, well, under the War Powers Act, the, the president has the ability to order any attack he wants in any country he wants, and he has 60 days before he has to come to the Congress and get congressional approval. That is completely false. It was bad enough when I heard constituents mentioning that to me. When I heard members of Congress saying that, it really blew my mind. It, the War Powers Act is clear and unambiguous. The president may only order our armed forces into hostilities under three very specific conditions. And let me read it to you verbatim. It's not that complicated. Quote, one, a declaration of war. 
two, specific statutory authorization, or three, a national emergency created by attack upon the United States, its territories or possessions, or its armed forces, end quote. Any questions? It doesn't get any clearer than that. Only if one of these conditions is present can the president invoke the War Powers Act and start that 60-day clock. And of course, none of those conditions were met. None of them were alleged to have occurred, uh, unless the president is in direct violation of that act. Uh, he mentioned uh, the authority of United Nations Resolution 1973 in the letter that he sent uh, to the congressional leadership. Uh, that somehow an act of the United Nations uh, is necessary for the president to go to war, but not an act of Congress. But he's wrong on that part as well. The uh, United Nations Participation Act, which was the act that entered the United States into the United Nations, um, requires explicitly requires specific congressional authorization before American forces are ordered into hostilities uh, in any United Nations action. The North Atlantic Treaty, uh, which he then has later cited as authority, also clearly requires troops under NATO command to be deployed in accordance with their country's constitutional provisions. And the War Powers Act specifically forbids the president from inferring from any treaty the power to order American forces into hostilities without specific congressional authorization. So you look at all of the acts which govern these decisions, you look at the Constitution, the only conclusion that we can make is that this was an illegal and unconstitutional act of the highest significance. The uh, president has implied that, that he, well, he just didn't have the time uh, to, to uh, approach the Congress over this question to avoid a humanitarian uh, disaster in Libya. Well, it's interesting that he had plenty of time to get a resolution from the United Nations. He had plenty of time to consult 30 other countries about the subject, but he didn't have enough time to get to the Congress to actually fulfill the Constitution's mandate that this is a congressional decision, not a presidential decision. And I remind him that it was just a single day after the bombing of Pearl Harbor that Franklin Roosevelt appeared in the House chamber, addressed a joint session of Congress, requested a formal declaration of war, and got it. And in that address, which was about as clear-cut a, a causus belli as any we have ever faced as a nation, he made it very clear. He said in these words, as Commander-in-Chief of the Army and the Navy, I have directed that all measures be taken for our defense. He recognized that that was as far as the Constitution allowed him to go as Commander-in-Chief until and unless Congress declared war, which he appeared on December the 8th to request. Well, some have said, in fact, I heard Ambassador Bolton say this the other day, well, Congress, it's the president who's commander-in-chief. If the president can order the military to do anything he wants, Congress is really there just, his, their, their control is, well, they can just cut off funds. Well, there's a little problem with that. You may have noticed if one country um, uh, commits an act of war against another country, uh, that country is, from that moment, at war. When you drop bombs on a foreign country, it tends to make the folks in that country a little angry. 
Uh, and they now have what the Romans called causes belli, a, a cause of war. And that is really entirely independent of anything that the Congress may then subsequently uh, order. Again, that's why that decision was vested in the Congress and not with the President, because once that decision is made, you are now inextricably uh, entangled with a belligerent and aggrieved power that has every right to continue hostilities regardless of what Congress then decides. I mean, suppose if the uh, Japanese diet uh, 60 days after the bombing of Pearl Harbor said, you know, that was really a bad idea, forget it. Does anybody here think that the United States would have backed off of, uh, in prosecuting that war? Of course not. Uh, finally, I've heard it said, well, we did the same thing in, in, in Kosovo. Well, if that's the case, then shame on the Congress that tolerated it. And shame on our Congress if we sit here and do nothing in response to this very obvious and significant uh, unconstitutional act that strikes at the very heart of the Constitution. If, if, if this act is allowed to stand, uh, I believe it will fundamentally change the entire character of the legislative and executive functions on the most momentous decision that a nation can make, and it will take us down very dark and bloody roads that the American founders fought so hard to avoid. So the next question occurs, well, okay, what do we do about it? And there are actually seven different options that are now uh, afloat uh, in the House that I'm aware of. Uh, the first one is sponsored by Dennis Kucinich and Ron Paul. That will be amend an amendment to the CR, which has to be taken up in the next few days, uh, to order all funds to be cut off uh, for the Libya adventure. Uh, the second uh, is, is being talked about. Nobody's actually moved forward on it, but that is to put up a congressional authorization uh, to attack Libya uh, for an up or down vote. Uh, the third uh, is a, a measure being sponsored by uh, uh, Congressman Conyers, uh, which specifically forbids the use of ground troops in Libya. Uh, the fourth is, is a concurrent resolution that's prescribed in the War Powers Act. Uh, I've considered that myself. My, my concern is the War Powers Act has not been invoked. It can't be invoked because none of the conditions for it have been met, so it seems to be rather irrelevant. Uh, Justin Amash has a, uh, a, a bill. Uh, that would um, uh, order uh, the troops out and the funding cut off. Uh, uh, sixth, we could adopt a joint resolution in which Congress issues explicit warnings to this and future presidents that the War Powers Act means what it says, the Constitution means what it says, and if this or any future president ever stops across that line again, uh, explicitly state that uh, uh, Congress uh, reserves the option to impeach. And then finally, we could also just introduce articles of impeachment, which would be the, the ultimate enforcement of the act. Um, I saw a legal treatise on the, on the War Powers Act uh, uh, recently that, that made a great deal of sense. Uh, the point that they raised was simply this, that the War Powers Act, there are some constitutional questions about it as well, uh, in the sense that it does tend to delegate congressional powers to the executive. Um, enforcement would be extremely difficult in any event because, as a practical matter, no court is likely to intervene uh, in a military action that is ongoing. Um, the point of this author was the War Powers Act is really there as a bright line telling any president who crosses it uh, that he does risk uh, impeachment. 
Um, that hint wasn't taken, so the next question is, do we just move on it or do we uh, explicitly warn him in future presidents that that is, spell it out in, 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 in clear words, that that uh, uh, is the option available to the Congress. Those are the issues we're grappling with right now. Uh, I think you're going to start to see congressional action uh, as soon as the um, continuing resolution is taken up, if it's taken up. As you know, uh, we have to have it passed out by uh, Friday. Uh, actually, as a practical matter, it'd be better to have it passed out uh, uh, by today. Uh, it's not clear that's going to happen, but as soon as it is taken up, I think you're going to start to see the first actions on this subject. So with that, I thank you all for being here and look forward to any questions. Republican Tom McClintock represents California's 4th District in the U.S. House. You can listen to or watch the full Hill briefing at Cato.org.